Welcome in listeners to another episode of the Busby Bay podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, by just Polly Questel today. Um, and, uh, you know, we took a few days uh, before talking about Manchester City. Um, and it still hurts. Um, but I'd say not not as much as it did Sunday when I was still just kind of like sitting in the in the wake of the defeat. But um that that was a rough watch. I don't think it hurt me as much because I didn't watch it live. But not that I knew what happened, I didn't. But again, my attitude towards everything for the last few months has been expect the worst and you won't get hurt. <laughs> and I was I was coming off in a daze. I hadn't slept in hours, so like I was kind of falling. So I was just on my couch, and by the second half, I I had kind of given up, just like just like United did. I just remember sitting on my couch the entire time and just screaming constantly about how bad McTominay was, just constantly running at watching him run around, chase shadows when he when he decided to run, um, because a lot of times he just decided to casually jog and walk around behind you know off the pace but i was more shocked about how everybody was kind of like oh at least the first half was good because the first half wasn't good yeah there was there was like a 20 minute period where or maybe it wasn't even 20 minutes because it, it was interrupted at times by the city trying to, you know, form a counterattack. But it's like after city went one nil up, they looked pretty comfortable to let us have the ball at least for a little bit. And the Sancho goal was good. And I think it was the reward for, you know, spells of decent possession and chance creation. But at the same time, like it really just felt like city were toying with us because as soon as they needed to score a goal again, they went and, did exactly what they did they exactly did that. Yeah, they did the exact same thing. They exploited the right hand side. You know, they exploited the space that McTominay was not keeping track of well. And they forced um both Wambasaka and Lindelof into committing pretty egregious error. Like there was somebody who replied to one of your tweets about the second goal, I think, where Lindelof just straight up goes, um uh, Leroy Jenkins mode on Jack Grealish. And it like I think Lindelof just probably, gave up on the play. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the perfect word for it. Because it's like, what are you doing making that challenge? It, it's like all these victories that we've had over City under Ole before this season were based around playing compact and doing your defensive job in your area of the pitch without, you know, minimizing any major errors. And for the most part, they minimized any errors, you know some of those games that seemed like city hardly ever had shots on goal, but that's just not been the case at all this season. And there's just like a total lack of focus in this game. And, you know, city took advantage and making those small errors in certain areas of the pitch just unravels the entire structure of the team. You were, you were never going to be able to stay compact with the players that we used. And a similar thing happened last season when when Ollie decided, you know, we're not trying to be as reactive um, to everything. We're going to try to play with these guys. Remember, uh, he put Paul Pogba on the left wing against City, and in the first half, Pogba was balling out, but ultimately it, it wasn't a lot. 
uh, and the game ended in a nil-nil draw. But he had Mason Greenwood up front with like Marcus Rashford, and that didn't really work. And then, but it was a nil-nil draw, and Pep took that. And then in the League Cup semifinal, uh, he tried to do the same thing really with uh, that time he brought Martial back into the team, but also didn't work. They they lost because of a couple of set piece goals, so it didn't n- not totally work. And then it, it, the trip back to the Etihad, he brought Daniel James back in, and Daniel James is kind of the key. Martial and James were kind of the key in making Martial gets a lot of shit for not tracking back, not trying hard, and it's all kind of BS. He does it. He's very good. Yet there are certainly times where he looks like he's not running back, or especially when he played on the left wing when he would give the ball away and he would and he would not hustle back. Um, but he's very good, especially when he plays up front at keeping shape and, and doing the work. And like last year, they actually played him on the left wing at Anfield and he put in a shift and, and did the work. And Daniel James is going to, he's going to nonstop work. He's going to tuck in the midfield and help you stay compact. And when McTominay gets dragged out of position, as it's always going to happen, he's there. So you lost all those components. And it was just a matter of how are United going to play? And it took Pep, like, what, two minutes to figure that out? And that second goal, like, yeah, Lindelof goes for the challenge and misses, and he just gives up on the play. Fred is out in midfield, and when – I can't blame Wambasaka for it. He tried to chip it out, and he didn't get all of it. Uh, that happens sometimes. Now, with Wambasaka, he's been out of form. He's not really good in possession. So – that happens more to him than it's going to happen to other players. But you know that, and you picked him, so you have to expect that to happen. And it did. And Lindelof goes in for that challenge, and he gets a little loopy-loop over him, and then he just straight up gives up on the play. But then you look at, so you look at Fred. Uh, De Bruyne ran right by Fred. And you look at McTominay. Both of them are just looking and being like, oh, McTominay doesn't even realize anything happened until the ball is well past him. And, but both of them both have this reaction of like, oh, damn, this is bad, but nothing I can do anymore. It's now on Maguire and De Gea to stop this because they're basically, they're in on goal and they're probably going to score. And Fred kind of has the same attitude. He's looking at the ball, but like McTominay is closer. And at, at a certain point, both Bernardo and De Bruyne are running by him because they are thinking, well, what if what if De Gea makes a save? Probably not going to smother that ball. So what if he makes a save and a rebound pops out? Let's run there just in case. And that never occurs to Fred, who admittedly is well up the pitch, so he's not going to really get there. Never occurs to McTominay, who's standing at the edge of the box and and just watches them run right by him and just... It never occurs to Lindelof, who basically was like, oh, I got beat badly, and and that's it. And all these guys gave up on the play. Yeah, why does Maguire let that ball run through his legs? Who the hell knows? But, of course, all the blame's going to Maguire when it's like, you should put him in this freaking position. But also, I mean, one thing, if you're Maguire in that situation— you're kind of thinking you're facing directly towards your goal and your keeper's on the ground. Yeah. If, you, if you touch if you the touch ball, it, you might be going, going in. in the back of the net. Um, second of all, all of what you just said just made me think of that meme we talked about the other day where it's like the manager texting, hey, we're short-staffed. McTominay and Fred are like, ah, damn, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <Love that. laughs> 
but, but yeah, it's the it whole was thing just, was that Sancho goal. Like you spoke, like I look, I said it didn't hurt much. Like I yelled out and jumped off my couch when he scored that goal. I was like, whoa, maybe we're going to maybe we're going to do something here. And that goal just reminded me of the Rooney goal against Barcelona in the Champions League final of like it was just this moment of false hope as you were being played off the pitch. And the amount of things I read after the match, like that people were uh, this was the thing is that everybody who like advocated for Ralph Ragnick to be hired immediately came in they're like well ralph got his tactics spot on and it's just the players let us down and it's like ralph ragnick did not even close get his tactics spot on like yeah a manager's job is to put his players in the best position to win and he did not do that at all you're based you're playing bruno and pogba as, as essentially like this as two false nines it's essentially a 4-2-4 so you're leaving he basically left McTominay and Fred defend for themselves, which is not going to put them in, in the best position. They're not going to do well there. And by by that nature, your 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 back four is not going to do well because McTominay and Fred are not going to protect them. And when United did get forward, and it happened a few times in the in the first half, enough times for people to be like, we were actually playing pretty well in possession. It's like, no, we weren't. We had five shots in the first half for 0.5 XG, which is like, okay, but counterattacking sets up very good opportunities. And if your whole game is based on counterattacks, you should be creating better opportunities than what we had. And like the Sancho goal was not a great opportunity. It was a really talented player doing something that takes a lot of talent and, and making a very nice finish, which again is why you want to sign good players because they are capable of moments of magic like that. But every time we got the ball forward, we looked a player short, like as if where's our striker? And it's like, oh, right, we're not playing with one. And it, and it looked it and it looked like we were devoid of options. And this is where like you, you didn't, did you put Bruno and Pogba in positions to succeed yeah you you limited how much defending Pogba was gonna have to do which is which is good but Pogba's at his best like playing behind players and being able to create for them and make late runs into the box Bruno is at his best playing behind the striker and making late runs into the box so now you don't have that so basically either what happened was we had the ball out wide with like Ilonga or Sancho and you have Pogba and Bruno both in the middle, but neither one of them are capable of making those striker runs that you need to do in the box. And you can't blame them for that. Neither one of them are strikers or you had the ball out wide and then Pogba and Bruno would come out of the box and go into Pogba Bruno areas, the areas where they like to operate, which is where they're best. But when that happened, now there's no one in the middle. So, like, no, I don't think Ralph Ragnick got his tactics on at all. And and everybody who said that he did or that we were good in possession were like, you know, the first half was good other than the two catastrophic <laughs> moments. And it's like, yeah, hello, that's a big thing to just ignore. <laughs> like, and that's the ultimate. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? <laughs> like, you can't just ignore 
those catastrophic moments because they came from tactical failures. And as soon as City came out and in the second half, and or as soon as the second half started, and I went, we didn't change anything. I went, we have no chance here. Because I said, City are going to see this game out. City, the thing about City that came into my mind was City always have just one plan. That's that's the thing about City. You beat their plan A, they they never have a plan B. We we spoke about this last year when when United won 2-0 at the Etihad, was all I could think of during the second half was Pep doesn't know what to do. He didn't know how to change things to try to swing the game back into our favor, into his favor, and and it just played out. And in this match, it was like City got what they want. They're just going to see this game out. Like Pep doesn't make a lot of substitutions. He literally picks his team, goes, this is our plan for today, and these are the players I need for this plan. And they're going to see it out, and that's exactly what he did. Like He brought on Ilkay Gundogan with 10 minutes to go, cool but you know at that point they're up 3-1 it's not like he was letting other players get playing time he it's yeah. see out the plan and when also, ralph didn't like, change the, when ralph didn't change the, anything i went well guess what what we were doing wasn't working so we're not going to get back into this game and then as soon as he as soon as he uh the sheet that i was taking notes on as soon as he took paul pogba out of the match i just wrote game over yeah i mean the only like adjustment that city even had to make in this one was you know when we scored a goal they were like okay we'll just not let them have the ball again like switching to ball retention especially in the second half i mean united posted zero xg like 0.0 xg in the second half total they they had absolutely nothing go their way and like that that was just city in their comfort zone at that point it was like they realized what it was going to take for us to get back into the game because we already did it in the first half. They're like, okay, let's just not let them do that again. And they knew that with Paul Pogba that up high up the pitch, you know, he likes to have those runners in front of him. Like you said, that's the benefit of playing him in a deep midfield situation, even if he's not that good of a defender or sometimes even a liability. It was like the only time he really influenced the match was on that goal because he had somebody running in front of him. Jaden right, he dropped deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like, mean, Lee, Lee Dixon said it like five minutes into the match. He was just like, they've pushed Paul Pogba up ahead. And because Pogba doesn't like to do a lot of defending. So they've pushed him up where he doesn't have to do as much defending. And he's like, and, he, and you could see it already that Pogba looks like he's really enjoying this. He said, but the issue is when you have McTominay and Freddie's like, they need a Paul Pogba deeper to get the ball up to Paul Pogba. And he's like, they have McTominay and Fred. So like, that's not going to happen. And not only we know that's not going to happen, but like, not only was that not going to happen, there was no adjustment to like protect McTominay and Fred in midfield. And it was like, you're losing the midfield battle all right. game. And we didn't adjust to that. And I mean, like, like, this was really bad. Yeah. <laughs> like in terms of and everybody and everybody's blaming the players for for they say they they quit they they drop their heads and quit on the third goal and I haven't watched the last twenty minutes closely I wouldn't be surprised though because it's pretty obvious that not all the players believe in Ralph Ragnick and if you already have doubts. About Ragnick and, and and like again the Ragnick fanboys are going to be like well that's that's shame on the players this is a great coach it's like he's managed two teams in the top flight in the last ten years you can understand why the players are skeptical right 
that that you know even even if like you believe that his time at Hoffenheim and Schalke and you know subsequently Leipzig like those are you know good merits to have on your managerial resume but the last time he consistently managed a team for like an extended period was what eight years ago yeah a long time ago and yeah and you oh they'll say like oh they quit on slow and it was like yes there were some players that had some doubts about Solskjaer but most of that came about with his team selection when it was like you're playing an unfit Harry Maguire over other players and nobody's getting a chance and we're just running back the same team out there every single week and they're they're not getting the job done uh like the players continued to play for him to the in the at the at, at Watford his final match you know, when the fans were booing, Bruno Fernandez was out there standing in front of the fans being like, it's not just Ollie, it's us. Like, we're not performing either. So these the players and, – and, and again, this this none of this happened until this season. You, you can – everybody seems to say, like, well, like, Ollie did a bad job this season. And objectively speaking, he did an atrocious job this season. That doesn't – suddenly mean that the job he did last year or the year before is any different no like he did a good job those seasons and the team didn't Mm -hmm. fall apart and the team was always playing for him and the team believed in him and honestly that's like a really important part of managing like at any level is yeah your players like you and believe in the system that you're trying to instill like and i just i don't think they they have that belief under ragnick and one of the things that is so telling is United went behind so often last season. Now, a lot of that was like early on in matches and it's overstated how big comebacks. Are. Look, he came back from one goal and not really a big deal, especially if uh, like coming back from a goal down with six minutes to go and winning. That's a big deal. Coming back from a goal down with uh, 80 minutes to go and winning. Not really a big deal. Like. If you win 3-1, what 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 difference does it make in the order in which the goals were scored? Uh, like the two games I used as the example, I think were like basically Newcastle and at home last year and Burnley at home. Like both games were 1-1 by the 60th minute, and United won 3-1 in both of them. And mm-hmm. it was like in one of them, the, the other team scored first, and United equalized, and the other one, United scored first, and Burnley equalized. And it's like, what's the difference? But anyway... Even when United were down and they had they did score a lot of second half goals, etc. And and there were plenty of times where the game was tied with 15, 20 minutes to go. They always just kept playing their game. And they, there was that belief, like, just keep playing our game. There's no need to panic. We will score a goal. And now you see it like even against Burnley and against Southampton, they're as soon as they go up one nil and they can see that equalizer and suddenly they, they start pressing and like Pogba and Bruno start just playing long balls and, and try to go into hero mode. And it's, it's almost like, because they, they don't either, they don't know not to somehow like a year ago, they knew not to, or they don't have a plan or they, they just don't believe in that plan. Which is ironic because they have been creating so many chances and it's been finishing that's let them down. But yeah, they have – they've been just 
Like, we went to, what was it, against Watford. Like, he dropped Pogba and Bruno into a pivot together, and there was just no cohesion. It was just go, go, go. Like, so the players aren't really believing. So, yeah, I could see how when you notice something isn't working in the first half and the manager doesn't change it, and then you go down 3-1, I can understand why your head might drop as you think, ah, like this again, or, oh, like, we... You know, that's it. Like, we don't have a chance here. Yeah, I, I think part of this, too, is probably the effect of, you know, there are so many games where they've created throughout the match. And after, you know, their opponent equalized or whatever, it just didn't go their way. I think that probably has to have a psychological effect at some point of things just aren't working, even though on paper it looks like things should be working. But also, like, this City game was kind of a reflection of all those games in a similar sense of, you know, in the time under Ragnick, we've seen pretty good starts, um, sometimes really, really good starts to matches, and then things just dip off in the second half. And that's just not something that he's managed to fix or, you know, the players have managed to fix or whatever. It's just it's not the environment for things to come right, I guess, at this point in time. Right, and, and then you wonder, like, why not? Yeah, what, what's Because this wasn't happening a year ago. Everybody's talking about the mentality of the players and, and weak, and it's like this wasn't happening a year ago. Yeah. And it, if, you're, if your thing was it's because of the manager, well, we got rid of the manager. <laughs> yeah. This it, it just seems more and more clear that he's not going to be the guy calling the shots next season. Um because I'm I'm calling the shots. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, I don't think we're gonna be able to record again before the Atletico match next Tuesday. So we're gonna talk about both Tottenham and Atletico Madrid. But real quick, I wanted to bring up that um, yesterday, uh, both of Manchester United's academy sides, the women's and the men's um, U21 teams. Uh, had good performances. The women's team won the Academy Cup and the uh, boys team won the semifinal against Wolves to go to the FA Youth Cup for the first time since 2011. Um, and that team in particular has a lot of players that were brought in under Solskjaer from, you know, other big academies and clubs. And they seem to have really put together a solid team. There's players like Mark Gerardo, uh, Charlie McNeil, who scored two goals yesterday, and Alejandro Garnacho. Uh, he scored one of the other ones. Um yeah, this is, you know, one of the few bright spots of the season and something that Anthony Alanga is also a little bit of a reflection of is that uh, over the past couple of years, one thing Solskjaer really focused on in the team building was, you know, reigniting the youth academy. And it seems to have paid off. Well, it paid off in, in the FA Youth Cup. Yes, it has not paid off in the first team yet. Um, and uh, you know, as we all know by now, Solskjaer will not be the person to reap any possible rewards from that. But um, at the very least, you know, it kind of gives us something to look forward to, right? In theory, yeah. Um, like, in theory. I, yeah. I get the idea behind it. <laughs> um of hey this is the future and look like united have a 
big history in the FA Youth Cup. It it's uh, they've won it more than any other club, and it's a proud tradition of the team. And it, it dates back to when the FA Youth Cup was started, which was right in the fifties when Matt Busby was building up the academy, and United dominated that, and subsequently became the dominant team in England. It was a direct correlation, which makes sense because there weren't really transfers back then. And there certainly weren't any foreign players. So like if you, it wasn't the free wheeling and dealing right. days. That, if, you, if you did bring in foreign players, it was to your Academy basically at that point. And they were like Irish. <laughs> that was Right. That right. Was, it was, it was Scottish and Irish and et cetera. Um, and then they won the, they didn't win it again until 1992, obviously class of 92, which, again, that's right when the Premier League was starting. So there are still limits on foreign players. It's still a, a very British league. The the money hadn't really come in yet. Like, we're about a year away from Roy Keane being, like, a record transfer of, like, 1.2 million pounds. Uh, and, like, Eric Cantona being a 1 million pound transfer. So the—, the and, and that spawned a, another period of dominance. But, again, like, that was— when it wasn't as transferable and like also you're dealing with two generational classes of talent like how many how many generational classes of talent have there been like this there's been the busby babes there's been the class of 92 there's been the La messiah class and like how many others have, have been there not well, not if you want to count uh, some of the Chelsea players that didn't end up playing for Chelsea, <laughs> maybe that like early 2010. Just, so, so that's the thing that we're, we're going to get to that. Um, so United, they did win it four times under Ferguson spread out. So like they won it in 92, then they won it in, in 94. So like, you know, those players, I'm sure that there were some players that um, made it into the treble team from that team. They won it again in uh in 2003, so that's maybe Darren Fletcher. Yeah, like John O'Shea, Darren Fletcher. Yeah, might um, past John O'Shea's time. He yeah he was in the first team by that point, but Darren Fletcher was starting to get you know some appearances around that time too. Right, uh, and then they won it, and then they won it in 2011. So the 2011 team that won it, and it's like yeah, there our academy still tr- and fabled all right that's paul pogba and jesse Winger. okay what did that get us pogba left okay fine jesse lingard's a, a nice squad player like it it wasn't like it wasn't another generational class etc now chelsea have dominated this competition uh as you said but chelsea spend a ton of money to sign players in their academy who will never see the light of day at chelsea and it hasn't equated to like on pitch dominance for Chelsea. They've basically been winning titles at like the same rate as they were beforehand. Um, they they did win the Champions League, which is great. And but of that team, Reese James and Mason Mount and Mason Mount are the only two players there that won FA Youth Cups with Chelsea. Uh, so I think it's great that United are in the final, but like, this is also kind of the Chelsea. It's, it's, we're not using local kids anymore. I mean, there are some local kids, but we have spent money to sign players into the Academy. It's just, 
that's not even that's not even an issue. It's like how many of these players can you realistically see playing for United? Whereas in 1992, you realistically you went if we're if we're this good at the youth level, these players are going to be playing for Manchester United. It's it's completely different now. The one thing that I will laugh about is someone, you know, uh, one of the curmudgeon guys who finds something to complain about for everything. And um, he was it, it basically he basically posted like how United are in the FA Youth Cup for the first time since 2011 and was like, oh, maybe we should be getting uh, these guys into the team to replace like the overpaid whiny egotistical guys that we have now and it's like hey the guys that won in 2011 are like the ego you know like <laughs> the guy was like basically saying like instead of paul pogba it's like oh he won in 2011 right. by the way yeah i there is because harry Maguire went and he gave a speech to the team in the locker room and all that and you know for them you know first team captain coming in and talking to you that's pretty cool or whatever but like some of the responses on Twitter, the the tweet about that got uh, really just it's kind just of ridiculous. Showing like the colors, just, oh, it's nothing. Right it's it's nothing more than PR, and it's like it's PR that they put it out there, but like there's no like, obligation. Yeah. <laughs> there's he, he there's have no obligation from Harry Maguire to show up. Like Dean Henderson was also there, and I think Ilonga was there, maybe. But like, there's no obligation for him to show up. There's no obligation for him to go into the into the dressing room. And I was saying this today, like everybody wants to hate on him being captain. And it's like every, it's like, as if they know, like it's a lot of people who have never been in the dressing room with Harry Maguire or any of these United players that are forming very strongly held opinions. Um, Like he's not qualified to do this. He's not a leader. He's not, He's not leading anybody. You listen, uh, like, I think it was Declan Rice in an interview was talking about the England leadership and how he's like, the leadership group is Harry Kane, Harry Maguire, Kyle Walker. Clearly the guy commands some respect, but someone, I made this point on Twitter then, someone responded, how much time have you spent in the dressing room? And I said, I haven't, which is why, if the people who have spent time in the dressing room deem him to be the best available choice, then I'm going to assume that they know better than I do and that they and that they're more aware of the situation than I am. And I mean, that's really what it comes down to. The fact that fans think that they know better than everybody else in this situation is of all the dumb things that fans believe this is up there. Yeah. And it's, right. it's 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 bad. It's it's bad because remember when uh like David De Gea was thinking about leaving in 2015 and he was thinking about going there was the whole the fax machine Real Madrid etc and people were like mm-hmm. David stay we'll show you how much we love you and like the Real Madrid fans are going to turn on you in a second etc etc like because that's what Real Madrid fans were known for and Fast forward seven years later, like we are quickly becoming the club where come to Manchester United, score two goals. Some fans are still going to hate you and say, oh, there's fans that somehow hate Bruno Fernandes. And as soon as you don't score two goals, they're going to turn on you right away. Why would you want to come there? The weather's lousy in Manchester. Like the team's not winning these days. 
Why would you want to come when the fan base is this toxic and this bad? Right. And uh, now I'm sure. And a, a lot of it's like online. Um, it's yes, but that's the thing is that is that like someone said this to me yesterday or something about like playing that there's less pressure to play like in the empty stadiums. And I was like, no, like you need to be stronger mentally because there's no energy from the crowd to build off of. There's nobody urging you on. Um, but also like the pressure, the pressure all comes from the media and it comes online. Like the players live online anyway. The, the match going fans are probably the best fans United have. They support you till the bitter end. They're the ones who were there when the Super League was happening. Like, yeah. Like, we, it, can, the, we can all, like, tweet and hashtag or whatever, but, like, the people who showed up were the, you know, the community. The people and, who and there when, us, when lives. Right, and when, and when Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer was under fire, they're the ones singing his name. When you go online, it's, get this PE teacher out of our club. The match-going fans are the best. But the players, it's 2022, they live online. So, like, all the pressure is, is, is just online. It doesn't matter if there's fans in the stadium or not. And it, it, there's been a lot to talk about, you know, Old Trafford and how much of it has been sectioned off for different corporate seating and all that. But um, the traveling support, you know, none of which, is, you know, all those are just, you know, regular everyday season ticker buyer fans. Really a, a pretty big reflection, as well as, you know, the Stratford end and the singing section still of how committed a lot of these people still are to the club. And, um Yeah. All right, so uh, we should talk about Tottenham and Atletico Madrid because we still have quite a bit to talk about there. Um, so we play Tottenham this Saturday and then uh, host Atletico Madrid. Do we host Tottenham as well? That's that one. They're both at Old Trafford. Yes. Yeah. So two home matches to respond to this, and then Anfield after that. No, that game the- got postponed. Because Liverpool are in the FA Cup. Oh, right. So we don't have to we, we don't have to deal with the like do we watch so Orange Madness or United? So we get two weeks off. Because <laughs> I think the international breaks like right after that, isn't it? It might be. Wow, are you do we have like three weeks off from I this think so. game? Just destroying my hopes and dreams and um yeah, a lot of COVID miserable, Madrid, unhappy person. March fifteenth, the next match, Leicester City, April second. So Wow. Wow, maybe I'll maybe I'll get some writing done. <laughs> yeah, but um, so we get a Tottenham team that has also been up and down and having to deal with, you know, interim manager and trying to get, you know, all their shit sorted. But uh, they've also come off of wins against was Everton and Leeds, so two of the worst in in the league. Um, they also lost to Burnley. And then uh, they had that win over City. I'm not sure how long ago that is now by this point. But um, obviously a dangerous team um, when it comes to, you know, the threat of goal scoring. But also, ideally, a team that we should still be able to pick apart, right? Mm, what what makes you say that? Uh, because they've been leaking goals at random points this season. <laughs> but well, I mean, we haven't have, we are not we able to score well. goals. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think mean, they'll hey. win. I think they'll win one of these two games. I just I can't tell you which one. Um, 
Like, I could see Conte coming to Old Trafford on a mission. Be like, you spurned me, and that's why I have to be here at Spurs, where I'm not going to win anything, and I cry all the time. And he's, he's in his, like, Jose Mourinho phase two now. Yeah, and and the media would love that, because then they could be like, well, United were such idiots, and they couldn't get over themselves, and they passed on Conte, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just, again, you, we have spoken about all the different problems that this team has had because, and, and I, I've said this over and over again of like, and we've, we've said other things are big problems. I'm like, what I've thought about recently is just like, this team could have dealt with Ronaldo in the first half of the season. If they had a midfield, it, the midfield has been kind of overshadowed as the number one. It has been the number one problem every single day of this season. And the only reason that, like, I've written about this all the time. The only reason that we don't talk about it all the time is because it's freaking boring to day after day just be like, yeah, midfield. Like, sort the midfield out, and from there, we could then figure out the rest. Because we've been doing it for more than just this season now, by this point. But it's, we've been using smoke and mirrors, and at the se- in the second half of the season, la- at, not the second half of the season, the tail end of the season, teams figured teams began to figure it out, and you could see the cracks forming, and we just didn't do anything about it. And now everybody knows. It's like if you drop Paul Pogba into the pivot, teams know how to defend against that. If you don't, if you push him higher up the pitch, teams know how to defend against that. They just go, oh, let's just sit on Pogba and, like, let McTominay and Fred have the ball and make them make passes because they can't. Um, if if Pogba's in the pivot, it's like, let's just press him with two or three guys. Let, let him pass the ball to McTominay. Let McTominay beat us because he can't. He doesn't like to have the ball at his feet. He's not – he doesn't take charge of it. He doesn't grab a game by the scruff of the neck, which is what they accuse – uh, which is what they say he does, but that's because he goes in hard to challenges, and they accuse Pogba of not doing that. Well, everyone's vision of a midfielder doing that is Roy Keane Juventus, and it's yes, exactly just that and, one goal. <laughs> right, and it, it, well, he scored two goals that game, but like, if it, it, it's fun, like when Grace Robertson was like, I was re- writing about United's 1999 Champions League thing, and she's like, she got up to that game, and she was like, this is the Roy Keane versus Juventus game, and frankly, like, he scored two goals. She's like, but the uh, rest scored, of the game... He scored one goal. York and Cole got the other two. Oh, okay. So he scored that goal, but it was like the rest of the game, he, was, he wasn't he was controlling it. He was just playing like Roy yeah. Keane, playing with heart. But he, he, was, he was doing his job as a midfielder. Like, he, he made some good tackles on Edgar Davids and Zinedine Zidane. Yeah. You know, he got a yellow card for going in a bit too rough on one after, I think, Phil Neville or somebody, you know, made a bad pass or something. But the like, thing is that he continued to play his heart out even though he couldn't play in the final. Right. But, like, but, that's – like, a, he, he's a really a good midfielder minimum. who just did his job. <laughs> right. That's the bare minimum. Like, and, and I said that the thing – the thing that pissed people off, like, is when we signed Pogba for 90 million, it's like they went 90 million. We should be getting Roy Keane versus Juventus every game. And it's like, well, one, he's not that kind of player. And two, like, you're not going to get that every game. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's like, as we've been saying, like, OK, he did his job. Well, I'm willing to bet you could find better Roy Keane games because like Roy Keane, right. as much as he's a caricature right now, 
he was really good. Yeah, and like the part of the reason United dominated the start of the Premier League era like they did is because they brought in Roy Keane. Like maybe his best seasons were 93-94 and 95-96. Like maybe even better than the treble season. They also had the best players in a league that was glaringly untactical, but like that's a different conversation yeah. for a different day. Um, they, but yeah, so back to the original point, like as long as you look at this team right now and it's like the midfield, which Ragnick loves McTominay, who again, like if he's marking you, he's so easy to lose him. Like, all you gotta do is just move, and eventually, like he'll lose you. He'll he'll forget where you are, just, or he'll foul you. Right, or he'll foul you. Except against City, he like when that was the weird thing is like when he overcommitted to to the touchline to like stopping Bernardo Silva and and Grealish, and it's like okay, you got dragged out of position again. Normally, when he does that, he goes in hard for a challenge and either wins it, but out for a throw in, so it's you know nothing but at least you get to reset or he fouls the guy. And in this case, he just didn't. And it's like a foul would have like really helped here for someone that had been committing like six, seven fouls a match. He committed one against city, but, but in these games, yeah. In any of these games, it's like any manager with any tactical sense will be able to just, expose him really um it it, it's like ollie came into this season with this determination like i have to play more expansive because it's the third year etc but didn't have the players to do so and he just hunkered down on that and like ragnar's come in and goes well my style of football is more expansive and mctominay is the only one that looks he looks like a defensive midfielder he's not by any stretch of the imagination he's Hardly even a box-to-box midfielder. He's a box-to-box midfielder whose only skill is he could shoot from the top of the box. He's not a good enough passer to be good enough to actually play that position for United. Or even, like, probably a a team a level below United. And I don't even know what level United are at. I don't know if they're a Europa League team or a Conference League team or an eighth-place team. Um, But he's he's just... And he, you keep running him out there, the same thing keeps happening. Like, if they run them out there, like, you could see Conte just kind of picking them apart, et cetera, et cetera. I, I do think that maybe he's more suited for this Atletico game, though, than Tottenham. Just because in that first game, we were kind of lacking somebody who would, like, muscle. <laughs> so, you know, like, somebody who would not be outdone on the physical side of things in midfield. And maybe, you know, we see adjustments from Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes where they realize they're going to be closed down when they're on the ball. And that's, you know, maybe something that we don't want McTominay to be in the situation of. But he's somebody who's generally kind of up for these games, especially in Europe. And I I, I, I would like to see him come in for it. Especially in Europe. I mean, his right, like, all right, so he played decently against PSG. Uh, two years ago, or that, that the the 3-1 win in, in Paris. He played decently against them 
in Paris last year. He was awful against them at Old Trafford. He was awful against Leipzig. He was awful against Sevilla way back in the day. Um, it was good against Barcelona. Again, yeah. Two years ago. Or right. Three and years like, ago at and this again, point. again, the job that day was, you know, stand here, be compact and just defend. And it was like when you win the ball, try to win the ball, get it to Pogba. If not, just like defend, get it out, try again or get ready to defend again. The, the tactics in that match were pretty primitive because United were playing with like uh, a one-footed Marcus Rashford, and they were asking Paul Pogba to basically be deep and forward. But like, what are the tactics going to be like for this game? Because Atlético Madrid kind of swamped us in the first half of the first leg. Like, I didn't necessarily expect that. I did expect if they went up one nil, they were just going to let us have the ball. But, so what there was in that game is that both teams didn't want the ball. And it just became like, which team won't have it? And Atletico didn't have it. So they had the advantage. I don't think we were missing McTominay, though. Because, like, yeah, you say, like, we missed that guy who wouldn't get out muscle. Like, McTominay gets out muscle plenty. He's just a bigger, stronger. Like, it's, again, when he gets out muscled, he comes back at you next time and goes into a hard challenge. And people like it. He's not going to back down from you. Like neither, and Fred doesn't back down from you either, but he's smaller and he gets out muscled very easily. But the issue wasn't that we were getting out muscled in the middle of the park. The the issue was that we weren't even getting into the middle of the park. Uh, like there were so many times where there was nobody even between the lines of Atletico, and there was just nobody in the middle. It was like you can make a nice United were playing like. In basketball, if everybody stood up outside the three-point line and you had no presence in the middle of the paint. The issue wasn't that, oh, we were missing McTominay. The issue was that we had Fred back there and Pogba and Bruno had just pushed up so high to sort of form a, a front five that there was no link. You, you left Fred completely alone and there was no link between the back to the midfield to the front. So if McTominay's in there, same thing is happening. So, like, I agree with you that he's going to play because it's it's very easy to be like, what were we missing in that match? Oh, McTominay, he was injured. He couldn't play. Let's put him in there. But I don't think that solves anything. What about um, Ronaldo then? Um, he obviously missed the derby because he was out with a hip injury or whatever. Or he was um, one or the or he, other. Yeah, or he was in Portugal without clearing that with the club. Um, anyway, <laughs> you expect he comes back, unfortunately. But if if you were the manager, would you play him against Atletico Madrid? It's hard. It's hard to say no because for all the reasons we've always discussed on this thing, he's that's. That competition um, is where his extra motive is, where mo- he has a lot of motivation. And and again, like if you hunker down and just defend and keep a clean sheet and create two or three chances for him and he scores, like, and you win one nil, like it doesn't need to be pretty. You just need to go along. Having said that, like the dude can't hit the, the blinds out of a barn right now. 
and he's not offering anything else. I'm like, the team doesn't seem to be good enough to even create those chances. So I think he'll play, but it's it's very, like, he really doesn't deserve it right now. But, again, it's the Champions League. It's Atletico. It's not an English, it's not an English opponent, so maybe he fares better there. But, like, yeah, perhaps just, like, let it, bring him off the bench and let him be f- – I think having fresh legs against non-fresh legs could go a long way. Mm-hmm. Having said that, like, who's who's better than him right now? Like, Rashford's not in form. Right. Ilonga, all right, Ilonga's going to start, but, like, you still – Cavani's not around. Uh, and, if, and Cavani seemed like he was on the periphery of playing against City – so if he's back for the Tottenham match, then like you could basically rule him out of the of the Atletico match, and if he plays in both, you could basically rule him out for the rest of the season. I <laughs> um, like that. And look, this isn't a new thing. Everybody got yeah. like I I I feel like I'm taking crazy pills on Cavani because I've been saying this for a year, over a year. Like hey, like people were like. Well, there's Chibani a period. Should our, Chibani should be our first choice starter, and I'm like, cool. We play twice a week. Who starts the other game? Because anytime Cavani played twice a week, anytime he started two matches in a row last year, it was immediately followed by an extended absence through injury. I was gonna say there was a period like this last season where we're just for like a month we're like, uh, hey, what happened to that guy? Like, yeah, isn't he, he a part of our team? Any time, and most of the, and most of the time it was, it was a. Uh, he finished the match and there was not, and like there was nothing, there was no report press conference would happen. And then the next day it would be like, Cavani's not even in the match day squad. It'd be like, why? And, and Ollie would be like, Oh yeah, he picked up an injury in training. And it happened every time he played twice in a row. So like, this isn't new, but yeah, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, if he is available, I think I've, save him for the Atletico game just because, you know, he's played well in Europe and Ronaldo was God awful in that first leg. And if we can expect anything similar to that kind of game, I'm not sure that I want him on the pitch for a full 90 minutes again. I mean, I wouldn't want him on the pitch. Like, look, that, now the, the counter is like the, the Luckhursts and the Ronaldo people are going to be like every United haven't won a game without Ronaldo this season. Right. And it's so like yeah. if we start him and lose, then at least we have that going for us. But right, we, but it, we've been but doing like, that. There's a reason for that. Like, imagine, imagine playing the same style for and constantly working on this for two seasons, for a season and a half before you're like, all right, we're mixing in Cavani, which is a, a bit of a change of style, but also we didn't have a lot of time on the training ground, so it's like stick with what you know. And and look, that's part of the reason why Cavani didn't start a lot last year is because we didn't really have a chance to like overthrow our style. And when, and in the Europa league final, we looked like absolute crap because like I was saying to somebody the other day, like we picked it. It was kind of forced upon us by injuries, but that front six of McTominay, Pogba, Bruno, Rashford, Greenwood, Cavani was the worst possible combination of six players you could get um, out of our, all of our players just because they just don't mesh with each other. And you're putting a striker that requires service in between two forwards who like to cut in and shoot and aren't very creative, et cetera, et cetera. Now Ronaldo comes in and it's like, oh, we're going to have to change a lot of things. So, 
all your time in training is like devoted to changing your style to accommodate this forward who doesn't do the things that your center forward had been doing for two years, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. And Ralph has kind of gotten them now to play a style that accommodates Ronaldo. They've been creating chances left and right. He's just not finishing now, which it's it really shining the spotlight on him. But if you've been constantly training and working on switching everything you're doing to this new style, then yeah, when you take him out all of a sudden, like it's not so easy to just all of a sudden be like, go back to the way you were playing last year or the year before. Right. I don't know. I don't know, Colin. Uh, what I do know is that the team actually hasn't been playing as poorly as we're kind of making it out to be of the, recently. Right. But, but they also haven't been playing as well as, you know, like everybody, especially the Ragnick people. And like, I like Ragnick. I think he's, I, I do think he's a good coach, but I do understand. I do think he has flaws, and I and I and I do think that the players haven't fully bought into him. Right, and it, like his job is interim manager, and that's somebody who can do damage control and, you know, generally get things back on track. Which he's obviously tried to do that, and he's tried a couple of different things that just haven't necessarily worked out. And even though things have looked good at times on the pitch. Ultimately, as interim, you know, the result really matters, too. And that's just not been good enough. Like, our last two wins were Brighton and Leeds. Other than that, we have four draws, one ones and nil nils. Five draws. Against against a very favorable run of fixtures. Right. And then totally getting picked apart by the first good team we've played in months. Right, and, and and the signs were all there. Like, hey, yeah. you play a good team, they're going to take advantage of this. Right. So And, and it's like, you tried something, credit for trying something. He tried something different against City. It wasn't working. And even if, even if you do hold the opinion that it, you know, in possession and the attack was generating some stuff, it was very clear that City, like, knew where to pick on you and that they were going to continue to do that out of possession, and, like, he never adjusted to that. Right. And, you know, really, these next couple of games, it kind of affects the mood for the rest of the season because if you're out of the Champions League, you're basically out of the top four race by this point. You're definitely out if you, you don't get three points against Tottenham. It's almost like you're going to be dealing with what's the point for the rest of the season if you don't pick up something here. I think they're in a lot of trouble for the future. I think this is a, that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Walker wrote that article the other day, like, trying to spin it as, like, this is a, sh- this is an, like, he, he wrote the article about how when the Rashford story, which isn't really a story, came out, that like oh he might be looking to leave and it was like the list of players trying to leave uh is is just growing as united need a clear out and like he tried to frame it against the players and blame them you know over 
they don't care enough and they're paid right. so much and they're coddled, et cetera. And I was like, this is a bigger indictment on the club and it doesn't bode well for the future. Like the attitude amongst all the fans is going to be, oh, you don't want to be here? Fine. Leave. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. We need a clear out anyway. True. But. Look who's been in charge of these clear outs, though. For, for <laughs> not even taking into account that for a second. <laughs> Just. Hey, Colin, like. Uh, if you were applying for a new job, would you apply to the company where every employee is trying to leave? No. Yeah, so if, if everybody wants to get the hell out of Manchester United and you're a, a player, why would you want to go there? Well, the only way they're going to get you to go there is money. And now your wage structure is going to be a problem again, and you're going to be left with players who aren't who are there for the paycheck, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we may not even qualify for Europa League. Like, I mean, I'd... I, I hate the people that go, oh, I'd rather not qualify. Like, I think it's small-minded. It's that I, I'd rather be out of Europe entirely. I think it's small-minded. Like, that's, that's literally the fringe between everything is not going to be good for the immediate future and maybe there's some hope for the immediate future. Like, I hate the Europa League. Yeah, I'd, I'd still rather be in the Europa League than not be in Europe. Yeah, I, I just like people that say I'd rather not and and the people that say, oh, they should just punt away the, the League Cup. Like, all right, well, they punted away the League Cup this year and then everybody turned around and was like, how could how dare you do that? Uh, they didn't they didn't punt away the FA Cup and then people were mad that they lost in the semifinals two years ago. Um, I think it's small minded. And like if you know, you can't if you're if. If you are like, oh, they just shouldn't even be in Europe, then you can't yell at the club for having no ambition because your ambition is small. They should be competing in as many competitions as they can. Having said that, personally, it would be really good if I didn't have to deal with all the Sunday games. So at a personal level, <laughs> I do not want to be playing on Sunday all the time. I don't mind the Thursday. I mind the Sunday. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for us. And, um, you know, hopefully by the next time we talk about Manchester United again, it, it, it's a little bit more positive because, you know, things not really looking up right now. Um, if we can get to a Champions League quarterfinal, though, I, I'll feel a little bit better about where we're at. But Meh. Like, what if they lose in the, in the quarterfinal? And we're still not top four. Yeah, like, it, no. I don't really buy that. Like, oh, you know, like, if they get to the quarterfinal, like, what difference does it make where they lose? All right, I'm going to stop this podcast before we get too negative. <laughs> <laughs> Our conversation has already devolved down to things are looking really, really, really bad. <laughs> I, they are looking really, really bad at the moment. I just, I, I happened, I will be the first to say, I don't think they're as bad as we're making it sound. Yeah, see, uh, that's, that's a pretty good end, then. All right, I've been Colin. Yeah.